0: Hi, this is Betsy Gardner, Senior Editor at the Harvard Kennedy School and Producer of the Data Smart City Pod. Since we started this podcast, we've had great support from our listeners. And to make sure that you don't miss an episode, please find us under the new Data Smart City Pod channel wherever you listen. Make sure to subscribe so you get each episode. And thanks for listening.
1: Well, this is Steve Golson, Professor of Urban Policy at Harvard's Kennedy School and the Bloomberg Center for Cities with another podcast of a leading individual in the country in the areas of digital innovation and cities. So today we're with Kelly Jinn, currently Vice President for Community and National Initiatives at the Knight Foundation, formerly Chief Analytics Officer of City of New York, Director of the Mayor's Office of Data Analytics. Kelly, welcome.
0: Thanks, Steve, for having me this morning.
1: Important official in two other foundations, worked in the White House, but that would have taken the whole podcast to introduce you, so <laughs> I've reviewed it. You have been in many places, and I've got a, a few specific questions for you about innovation in digital infrastructure, but could you start by just telling us a little bit about your job at Knight Foundation and the, the mission of your work now?
0: So the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, we are a $2 billion private foundation based here out of Miami, Florida. uh, And we have work that really pushes forward on how can we further more effective, informed, and engaged communities. Uh, And the original intent of our donors, John S. and James L. Knight, was all about local journalism. Uh, And so when you think about a lot of the day-to-day work. Certainly that I've done, and I know, Steve, that you are doing and have done before, the core ethos around what does it mean to be serving in an effective democracy and what investments might we make in that realm? Those are the the higher order North Stars that we're searching for day to day. And then in terms of what I actually do, uh, I do have a lot of meetings day to day, but in terms of the tactics uh, we have within the communities team, which is the team that I lead... We're really searching for who are the people, what are the places, and what are the ideas that are going to be at the forefront of cities, uh, specifically night cities across the country. This is where the Knight Brothers actually had their newspapers in. Uh, And so I'm very privileged to be able to spend my day-to-day thinking at this very, very high level, but then very pleased to be able to work alongside grantees on the ground Uh, who really are seeing how can we further more informed and engaged communities on the ground. So that's been quite a delight. I've been here for about a year and a half. And I think a lot of the time that I've spent, both federal, national, local, I have not yet served in state government. I'm not sure I I will anytime soon. Um, But for me, just reminds myself how important it is right now that we remember what's at the forefront and what are the needs that our communities have given all of these dollars that are flowing today, public dollars on the, the national scale.
1: Good. Well, speaking of public dollars on the national scale, so we all came together, 100, 125 cities uh, recently at Harvard events sponsored by Knight. We looked and talked a little bit about the role of the federal government, the funding from the federal government, sense of community, digital infrastructure. You were a key part of that whole effort. What were you trying to accomplish, right? What what is it that cities who listen to this podcast should think about as it relates to digital infrastructure and how they can improve their services and engagement of their local communities?
0: So we I think this was. I can't remember, Steve, earlier this year, late last year, at some point we saw each other in Miami and I was sharing with you that across our communities, they pretty consistently said every insert name of federal program or funding stream was a once in a lifetime opportunity to be injecting dollars into new programs or existing programs that they had been really planning and, and engaging residents on for, for quite a while. And Knight Foundation picked up on this early last year. I think this was March or April that the American Rescue Plan Act was signed and, and passed. And we basically, over the course of a year, a year and a half now, really keeping our ears to ground saying, how can we be partnering alongside city halls and communities to be supporting, whether that is literally through the dollars, public private partnerships around the funding or some technical assistance that we might be able to provide to connect folks together. And so I think at a certain point we looked at each other and said, well, why isn't anybody funding some sort of network to to bring people together and talk about the innovations that are happening? around these federal funding streams. uh, And then I remembered I was a funder and that we should probably bring folks together at Harvard. Uh, And so that was a bit of the origin story of the convening itself. For me, it became really, really important because we've all been in our little hermit uh, holes over the last three years. And uh, although we may talk about digital infrastructure and, and technologies on this podcast session, really just been keen on what are the ways in which people need to reconnect in person? And so it was that much more important to me that we got together folks from across cities, across the country, certainly night communities, and from various different organizations to bring them together and see what was possible by having folks focus their time and energies getting to know and to communicate with others they may not typically do. So That, that was a bit of the Uh, Background. And then what I hope to get out of it, we'll see. Uh, I think when you're looking at the longer term outcomes of any convening, it takes a bit of time, right? I want to see in the next six months, 12 months, what are the projects, what are the connection points that were made as a result of that convening. And have people gotten sharper in terms of their programs and investments and how they're thinking about them? Uh, And then we certainly had a number of federal officials, appointees who were there, you know, very diplomatic of what they could say and, and couldn't say in those conversations. be interested to see which communities are able to advance in their applications as well, partly informed by what they learned and kind of what they heard during that convening a couple weeks ago as well.
1: Uh, you've been in some interesting places like New York City. Just stand back a little bit, help us think and maybe stimulate the imagination of people who are listening. What could they do with data, digital infrastructure, technology to drive higher quality services that result from these infrastructure investments? In other words, you're probably too young to remember the phrase, this is not your father's automobile, meaning we don't want to build the same outdated vehicle slash infrastructure as we did before, how, how should policymakers think about the promise of digital infrastructure as they go about spending a trillion dollars here and there?
0: Yeah, I'll Steve, I'll, I'll reflect on a, a few points. Uh, I am familiar with that phrase for the record, so I am familiar Uh, And and actually, when I was serving in uh, Boston City Hall, uh, Yasho Franklin Hodge, who is now chief of streets for for Mayor Michelle Wu, he used to get up and and talk about something that government does a lot of is instead of moving from almost the horse to a car, motor vehicle, uh, just trying to establish or or develop faster horses, right? Uh, Thinking about what are these S-curves that have occurred over time? with technology and sometimes we focus a bit too much on being iterative with what we have right now and not focused on what the next leap is and what's coming around the bend and and the corner. Uh, And so I've seen this firsthand across many different communities and and jurisdictions by now. I'd probably zoom in on my time in New York and then I'll also talk about uh, Miami. In New York, and this is a story I've I've told a couple times, but I'll I'll tell again today. As Steve knows, because he served as as deputy mayor uh, there, there are a lot of processes that exist within the city of New York, many of which, you know, things have been done the way they've always been done. Uh, And I worked alongside quite a few very, very uh, uh, excited, passionate data engineers, planners, GIS analysts, and and specialists. And I found over time actually, Steve, that oftentimes the issues we had in making the pitch around data infrastructure is that we focus too much on the process and the systems and the uh, softwares and not enough on the actual outcomes that those systems and infrastructure will help to achieve at the end of the day. So I'll give you a, a very clear example of that. When COVID hit, you know, we'd spent all this time, I've chatted with many different departments, all about data engineering. And what if we did data integration? What if we procured these systems and processes? And really nobody could get that excited about it unless you had data in your title and you worked at an agency or you worked within the IT department. And I remember when COVID hit, There was this moment because it just became so clear what the outcomes were that we were trying to achieve. We were trying to support decision-making by policymakers to have access to economic data that they were not able to get access to because it was outside of the city. They were trying to get more and more real-time data that had to do with health and hospitals and and some uh, HIPAA-protected information. And so all of a sudden it became very clear We need to go by explaining the outcomes first, and that'll help us with the pitch and the improvements around digital technologies for the city. And that was something not just the mayor's office of data analytics, but other offices across the city were, I'm going to say, in the span of that summer, so summer of 2020, we're able to get a lot of clarity around. We ended up establishing Mayor's Office of Data Analytics alongside the Mayor's Office of Operations, Chief Privacy Officer's Office. Uh, We were able to establish New York City's Recovery Data Partnership, which meant that we basically stood up the digital infrastructure to bring in data from companies outside of the city, and that was to help inform data offices and analysts to make better decisions by integrating more streams of data and information. But I kind of come back to this, Steve, which is just later on now serving in philanthropy, that that level of clarity and focus was only possible when you could really stay focused on who's the customer what kind of outcomes are we trying to seek at the end of the day? And using that to back into what are the outputs, what are the upgrades that we need to infrastructure? Certainly in, in conversation with budget offices, and that's true not just of New York City's OMB, Office of Management and Budget, but other budget offices that I've engaged with before. And then the second example that I will give here is about some of the promises. So the underline here, which is soon to be 10-mile linear park that runs below the the metro rail here, which is elevated, that idea sprung about close to a decade ago at this point. It was all about how do you beautify that space? How do you make it into a a public space that anybody can use and, and engage with, and certainly just literally make it prettier instead of something that was all concrete and and cement. And over time, again, they thought about what were all of the communities and residents that they were serving and will be engaging with along this 10 mile stretch in Miami. And so they started to focus on digital infrastructure. Knight has been supporting them in hiring a chief technology officer, now chief innovation officer. They've done a lot of thinking and programming around what broadband access will look like along that linear trail. And then they've also started to figure out what are ways that they can further engage community residents, whether that's kids in schools or other age groups and demographic groups, and actually being able to interact and kind of book you know, a yoga class as a way to, to further engage. So again, regardless of, of where I've gone, these digital intersections with infrastructure and innovations continue to pop up. I think the leaders of the organizations that are most clear on who they're serving and how they would like to continue to have sustainable impact are the ones who are able to move the funding uh, around the digital infrastructure as well
1: let me push on two of these issues before we finish up. One's community engagement and the other is IOT devices, right? Let's deal with your community engagement comment for a second. Knight is all about community engagement and it's journalistic background. What digital tools do you see that cities should consider as they encourage engagement? I
0: would, I feel like this is, Very dated, Steve, but if cities who are listening don't have 311 in place, which which is true, like there are cities out there that don't have 311 in place, that don't have what at this point I I feel like larger municipalities have already, many of these technologies have have adapted and and been adopted. I keep coming back to it because I think, Steve, the, the kind of ultimate engagement alongside community is... What are the issues and what are the needs happening uh, on the ground? Uh, A city that shall not be named, their 311 only operated uh, during uh, business hours (laughs) during the work week. And so I was in said city. Actually, my friend's car uh, got towed, and I was like, guys, I got this. I'm just going to call 311, except it was Saturday and 311 was closed. Uh, And so I, I think, Steve, of this kind of still going back to the basics and fundamentals around. Uh, digital infrastructure as the underpinnings of how service requests can come into a city hub, and then for that to drive improvement in resident satisfaction, as well as how a city can prioritize. And so, when I think about a smart city, Steve, I'm sure you're like, well, what new fancy technologies is Kelly going to talk about? I still think about three and one most days as the foundation for the infrastructure. And then I will, uh, just for our listeners who are like, oh, I can't believe Kelly mentioned 311, i also talk about what is uh, future facing and leaning is I've spent the last two years uh, reflecting a lot about what the real applications of web three could be within cities. And so uh, for anyone who's not familiar with terms like DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, there are increasing and decentralized ways of governance and communication that I hope in the next five-ish years could radically change how government's Budget. We've also been talking about participatory budgeting for many, many years and think about what the really, really interesting applications might be for stuff like Web3 that right now really only gets talked about in the the crypto blockchain sphere. And so for me, that's something that we've been watching from the foundation. I acknowledge times these technologies really are a bit bleeding edge, cutting edge. Uh, perhaps a bit over their skis in terms of the promises that they're making compared to the actual improvements with equity or efficiency that they could make within communities. But yeah, I I wanted to kind of share these two, what it feels like in my head, two polar opposites, but the kind of core digital infrastructure infrastructure. That literally how you surface and respond to service requests in, in one extreme. And then the other extreme is what is already coming down the pike. And I'm not sure that governments right now have the technical expertise and community as well, have the technical expertise to assess and figure out how these technologies could be incorporated and could be incorporated in a way that helps them do a better job servicing residents at the, the end of the day.
1: So if we think about sensors, we can make better decisions on competition for sidewalk and curb space. We can have better information with respect to environmental conditions in often distressed neighborhoods. Digital infrastructure, meaning IoT sensors, allows us to extract a lot of data, albeit in an effort to anonymize. So how would you recommend, as a night official and former New York City official, that cities think about the collection of IOT information as part of this process of improving their services?
0: I think for me, it always goes back to what decisions are you grappling with? And I say that because I've worked on and and been a part of many projects where the promise of data collection is something that doesn't deliver. So you can kind of stand up all of the infrastructure to collect truly massive amounts of data and a year, two years in, say, well, we have all this data. What could we possibly do about all this data that we've collected? And so my advice for communities across the country, across the world, is to really focus in on what are you trying to achieve and what are these decisions, the actual decisions that you have, that you are looking for information to to help make. I've also been on the other side of the tables working alongside data scientists who have frequently said, you know, if I just had the perfect amount of data and you had the like the perfect business and policy question, then I can answer all of your questions. And that also doesn't happen. And so I would actually encourage anybody on this call to spend more time figuring out how to be an effective translator. How do you navigate what existing data sets are available today? And how do you suss out what policy business program type questions are bubbling up? And then to be able to bring those individuals, agencies, offices, community groups together to have real conversations as to how the data can actually meet the questions that are out there. And so I I do feel, Steve, right now, the promise is like, we've collected all this data, it's going to make us that much more efficient. But if you haven't done the prep work and the planning work to say what questions you're going to to be able to answer better, then you basically end up in a bit of a spiral, people looking to somebody else to tell them what to do in, uh, in a bit of a circular way. The the thing I will repeatedly come back to, we had a lot of pithy sayings in Boston City Hall that I've kind of carried on over time. We oftentimes said the remit of Boston Citywide Analytics team was to help others ask and answer better questions. And that is something that I've taken to heart, regardless of what organizations that I've worked with. So that's kind of one, one takeaway. And then when I went back to the White House in 2016, 2017, we always joked in my little group that counting is really hard. And so that is something I would also say, Steve, when you're thinking about actually how many people are utilizing public spaces or bike lanes, it's oftentimes a question of, literally how many people are passing by a space so you've got certainly a lot of sensors out there tracking these bike counts my question is again so what where are the dollars are you are you asking a question about where you should be prioritizing the installation of lanes or perhaps the safer lanes in community or are you trying to figure out just simply who's actually engaged here? Perhaps what are the income classes and have we actually engaged everybody within the community in these new infrastructure or or public spaces that are out there? So it is, I I think of these like kind of two sides uh, and being able to balance those two sides with the data availability and the demand. And this goes back to my earlier point, when you start thinking about digital infrastructure, because your pitch has to be You know, what are the decision points that we're going to make? How are we going to do that better? And then what do we have in place right now? And I really do hope for folks that work within large systems with very large databases and data warehouses, people look to what they have today and try to build upon and iterate upon what's available today, as opposed to kind of blowing everything up and trying to establish something new, because when you establish something new, you basically end up backing into all of the challenges that you had with the existing softwares and, and systems that you had before in place already.
1: Kelly, thank you very much for joining us today. We've been listening to Kelly Jen, the Vice President for Community and National Initiatives at the Knight Foundation. Thank you, Kelly, for your insightful comments. We appreciate your time. Thanks,
0: Steve, for having me. Well, thank you. If you like this podcast, please visit us at datasmartcities.org or follow us at datasmartcities on Twitter. And remember to subscribe at the new Data Smart City Pod channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Betsy Gardner, and hosted by Professor Steve Goldsmith. We're proud to be the central resource for cities interested in the intersection of government, data, and innovation.